Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. Francis and I have the great privilege today to have in studio with us Father Donald Brick, who is actually going to be offering a retreat for our Carmelite community here this weekend uh, as we get ready to uh, spend some time away with the Lord. And Father Brick, it's great to have you in studio with us today. Well, thanks, Mark. And great to have you here for the retreat as well. I know we're going to touch on that just a little bit once we get into uh, some of the questions. And uh, to the extent that you're comfortable sharing with us some of the material related to the retreat, uh, Francis and I can promise you we'll be the only ones to hear about it before Monday. Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'll leave that up to you. But um, as we do each week, we begin our uh, program with prayer. And Francis, I know... Uh, you'll no doubt have prepared something, so I'm going to ask you if you would lead us in prayer, please. I think it'll be appropriate to do the Our Father prayer together. So let us get recollected, get quiet, and let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Francis. Well, Father Don, I'll warn you ahead of time that uh, we would normally ask uh, you to lead us in prayer, both at the beginning and the end. But since we rushed you into the studio, <laughs> I thought that that would be inappropriate to just cast that upon you. I'll let you know, though, with 50 minutes advance warning that we would ask you to pray us out when we close uh, here today. Um, but, but first of all, if I can, um, we are interested in understanding a little bit about uh, your call to Carmel, your call to the priesthood, and just maybe as a quick biographical sketch, you can provide us some of the details around that. Well, my uh, call to Carmel began with the secular order, and I entered the secular order through the message of Fatima. Fatima became a reconversion for me, a deepening of my faith, so I read a lot on Fatima. Uh, through a period of time and began to have great devotion to our Blessed Lady, the messages of Fatima, started living those. And as I lived those, uh, my devotion to the Blessed Mother increased. And as a result, I entered the Secular Order of Carmel, where I was for two years. And as I progressed through the Secular Order, then I discerned the call to the priesthood and to the become a member of the First Order of the Priests. So, Francis, there's still hope for me yet. For the <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You're married. <laughs> and your wife is living. <laughs> Father, where was your first community at? In, was that in Auburn, Michigan? Um, I, I think that's... I was in Flint. You were in Flint, Michigan. I was in the Flint com community, oh. yes. Oh. Okay, wonderful. CDS. And here we are, we're approaching, well, we, we're I lived at, in Auburn, though. You're pretty that close. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, I know we're at the 99th year anniversary of Fatima, so this is probably an exciting time for you, right? It's an exciting time for everybody. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> are you hoping Our Lady will help us out of this mess? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have to hope. We know that we're going to get helped out of the mess, so. Thank you. We needed to hear that from you. <laughs> 
All right. Um, so we have a bunch of questions for you. And um, one of them in particular is, how do you see the OCDS making a difference here in the United States? I, I, you've been a friar for, what, 16 years or so? Is that correct? Mm, 24, 23, Oh, 24. I got my numbers wrong. Like I'm so Somewhere sorry. My bio must not I'm be I'm over 16, though. I know that. So. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Well, so you've had a lot of perspective and interaction with the OCDS, both as being a member of it and now as a friar helping us. So how would you see the OCDS making a difference? Well... The OCDS is the essential element currently in our society. The biggest flaw that we have is secular atheism and materialism, which is philosophical. With philosophy, that means that all that exists is the material. So all that exists is the material, then the question has to be asked, if you're following that, then what does your life mean? And as you reflect on what does your life mean, there, there comes an answer. Because if all there is is material, then it means nothing. Because the world's an accident, you're an accident, and you have no meaning. So the OCDS, the essential element of them, of the OCDS members, is they go to prayer and they encounter God. They look at God. Holy Mother Mira, God looks at us. We're in the presence of God. Therefore, we, our life has meaning because we're a child of God. There's no other religion in the world other than Christianity that we can say we have a God in heaven who's our Father, Abba. And when we're in need, we can call our, to our Daddy in our need. And this is the big element of the Carmelite vocation, that we can tell people that God is their father and that they can be a child of God and that their life has meaning. And this is the biggest thing that Carmelite means is enclosed garden of God, that God is. So OCDS members are like the frontline members in society that are telling the world that God is through their deep experience of God in prayer. And this is what they bring to the world currently. They are the answer to secular atheism. They tell the world that life has meaning, that you're not an accident, that you can be a child of God. That's not imposing anything. That's really just telling people how beautiful they are. That's what the first Christians did, if you think about it. When you go back to St. Paul, that's all they did is they started to evangelize and tell them that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that you can be baptized and start a whole new life as a son and daughter of God. I think that's a very powerful statement, Father. And, of course, our Holy Father is saying many similar things about the witness uh, to the um, existence of God uh, manifested through certainly acts of charity, involvement in the world around us. He said recently uh, to all priests, get your hands a little bit dirty, get involved. And that too is a witness. 
Um, for we OCDS, though, and I think you're you're right. I I don't shy away from the challenge that you just laid out, and that uh, we in OCDS accept. We really are the front lines of that manifestation of the living God in the world and to the members of the world around us. And and with that in mind, uh, let me take you to the second question, which in part I think you've begun to answer, but. What is it you wish that all OCDS members knew themselves? What, what, what critical piece of this landscape you've laid out about witnesses, I might even use the word witnesses to hope that we are called to be. What do you wish we all knew perhaps uh, uh, more deeply that would help us fulfill that challenge? I think if Every person in the OCDS knew that God was looking at them and that they're always in the presence of God 24-7. God's always looking at us, and he's perfectly happy with the way he created us. There's nothing that God is unhappy about in the, what he created us to be. He looks at us and he says, this is who I created and I'm pleased with you. Yes, I know you have sins, but my mercy is there for your sins, and I am pleased with what I made. And with that gift and of understanding, every OCDS member would be content with who they were and who they are in the eyes of God. And when we go to prayer, we, go, we don't have to go uh, to prayer and be ashamed of anything, because we know even St. Trez teaches us in our weaknesses and failures, we can go to God and he's not displeased with us. Oftentimes I think that our shame, we think because we feel shame, we think God feels the same towards us. And God doesn't think of shame the way we think of shame, because Jesus took our shame up our shame upon himself by going into the cross. So God is never ashamed of us. So we don't have to be ashamed to go to God in our weaknesses, in our failures, in our sinfulness. We may feel the shame, but God doesn't feel the shame. Because God looks at us and he's very happy with who he created. And he's very pleased when we go to him in humility to give us his mercy. And we can have great trust in that. That's from St. Therese. So as you were saying about knowing that God is gazing upon us, can you share a little bit about how you came to that realization in your formation through the seculars and through um, becoming a friar? That's a a very good question. I, I guess the realization that is an ongoing realization. I don't think it's just like a a one-time come upon. It's an action of the Holy Spirit through the prayer life. And I think the the more you focus on the Holy Spirit and his role in your life, I think the more the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. And I think that's one of the areas that St. Mary of Jesus Christ crucified uh, so is so predominant in for us as Carmelites is her great devotion to the Holy Spirit. 
in in the in the spiritual life because the Holy Spirit's the one who allows us to call out Abba, Father. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we become sons and daughters of God through baptism. So the Holy Spirit really helps to reveal that in our Christian life, the uh, the essence of who we are and the dignity of who we are as, as God's children. We've begun to touch on prayer, and I, I actually would like to hear you reflect a bit more on the role of the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. Uh, so many, uh, for so many uh, Christians and, and even Catholics, the Holy Spirit is sort of the forgotten member of the Trinity. He's been referred to that way on, on occasion. Um, and we are perhaps not as intimately familiar uh, with how to engage the Holy Spirit in advancing our prayer life. But in the context of that uh, uh, participation with the Holy Spirit, can you reflect a little bit on the differences uh, that you um, w- would help us understand between mental and contemplative prayer, and, and again, in the context of the Holy Spirit working through both of those mediums of prayer. First of all, in prayer, the first uh, thing in prayer is always the reality that you're in the presence of God. We stand in the presence of God. Uh, prayer is always a movement uh, in the presence of God. So when we're in prayer, we're in the presence of, of, of the Trinity. We're in the presence of God. And it's never a one-way look. Oftentimes we think prayer is about me talking to God. But first, I think in in prayer, we always have to understand that prayer is a two-way look. We look at God and God looks back at us. So that's the first moment in prayer. And the second moment in prayer is prayer is about our life. So our prayer changes based upon our life. So, for example, if you lost a loved one today, your prayer would be grief. It would be bringing, acknowledging, relating that grief to God. And then this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. Once you relate your life to God, you ask the Holy Spirit to receive the graces you need so you can respond to the will of God in your life. So the Holy Spirit's role is to help us to, to deepen that presence of God, that trust in God, and to allow the his grace to come in our life to respond to what God allows in our lives so that we can respond to that. In that prayer, there's meditation where you take the scriptures and you can meditate on a scene and you can go through the scene and you can put yourself in the scene or you can uh, take a scripture and uh, contemplate um, certain aspects of it in in your scene in in the scene, but you're like a it's like a honeybee doing all the work. Your intellect's doing all the work. You could take a saint and meditate on the saint, and various different things that you can meditate on. But it's always you working and meditating, and your mind acting. In contemplative prayer, if you move towards that, it's not so much you taking a scripture, you may start with a sign of the cross, you may start with a scripture, but what you end up being is more in that in that Holy Spirit receiving mode. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that doesn't mean that you don't your intellects may not be working. Your intellect may be click as Saint Teresa says, 
going clickety-clack like the mill clacker goes clickety-clickety-clack. But when you're in that stillness and that uh, recollection, that's where the Holy Spirit and God communicates to the soul, even though the intellect may be active. That's through St. Teresa of Jesus. So that's more of the contemplative prayer to meditative prayer. All right, so when people come into Carmel, uh, one of the six M's is um, mental prayer. So could you expand on what entails mental prayer? I mean, I know you've been touching on it right there, but meditation is one aspect of mental prayer, right? Um, And mental prayer may comprise other things as well. So could you give us a little bit more uh, light on that? Mental prayer could be rosary. So you could be praying the rosary. That could be mental prayer. It could be contemplative prayer, rosary. Uh, Holy Father, even in the rosary, says that's uh, a contemplative prayer. Um, what other aspects of mental prayer? Um, I'm not familiar with the six M's. Our mission, our mass, our meetings, uh, Marian devotion. Morning prayer. Morning, 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 oh, prayer. all and of mental prayer. And 30 minutes of mental prayer daily. That's our six hymns. Okay. I, I, thanks for filling me on that. So I got me lost. Me- mental prayer still is, whether you're doing the office, um, that can be mental prayer. It can be contemplative prayer, depending on where you're at. Um, the mass... Um, can be mental prayer and it can be contemplative prayer. Depends where you're at. So if, if it depends on the situation of the soul. So you don't have the mass is the highest prayer there is, though. So um, as a secular discalced Carmelite, we're asked to pray thirty minutes of mental prayer daily. A daily. So if they go to mass and they're attentive at mass, would that satisfy that thirty minute requirement? No. Okay, then that's what I want you to explain a little oh, bit more I about. Oh, I see. Okay, I see where you're going. The 30 minutes is, uh, the Mass is uh, a, a prayer where we uh, bring our life to God, and what whatever we bring to God at the Mass is brought by the priest to Jesus who presents it to the Trinity. The 30 minutes of prayer, your office, and all of that, that's what you bring to the Mass. That's what you're offering. That's your sacrifice. That's your life. It also includes your sufferings, too. So all that's brought to the Mass, and that's all presented to the Trinity as a sacrificial offering. The mental prayer is your 30 minutes of you personally talking to your best friend. It would be like it would be a similar thing of prayer is you have a best friend. If you don't talk to your best friend, how does the relationship develop? The relationship doesn't develop. If a husband stopped talking to his wife every day, where would the relationship be? So the 30 minutes is a conversation with your best friend who we know loves us, as St. Teresa would say. It's a relationship. And oftentimes I think prayer is looked at as a duty. But prayer is not a duty, it's a relationship. And the important thing, I think, in prayer is, you know, we often think that we have to do things. 
D-O. And uh, there's a priest in Chicago that writes D-O on a napkin and then writes N-E, done. (laughs) Finished, it's done. Well, yes and no. Jesus has done everything. Jesus' work is done, but your and my work has just begun. So the words, it is finished, really means it is just beginning for you and I. When a priest says, I now pronounce you man and wife, it's not the end of the relationship, it's the beginning. When a priest baptizes somebody, a little child, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not the end, it's the beginning of new life. So when we go to 30 minutes of prayer, it's the continuation of this relationship and this life that's been poured into us. Would the rosary be part of that 30 minutes, or would that be an, a devotion outside of our 30 minutes? I'm just being specific here. The rosary can be part of the 30 minutes. Okay. And it's I, pr- appropriate prayer. All right, good. That's it's good Marian. We're a Marian order. <laughs> right, rosary, uh, go, to, go to Pope St. John Paul II. You can read his uh, letter on the rosary. He calls it... A contemplative prayer. Definitely. So, and of course, we want to mean what we're praying there as well as we meditate. Well, Holy Mother says that very clearly. Mm-hmm. Know who we're praying to and what we're saying. Right. And so I have this question for you. Do our friars, do they pray the rosary in community? And did Teresa Vavala pray the rosary in community? Or did that kind of develop later? And, um, you know... I I don't know if Teresa I don't know if their communities prayed the rosary in community. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question, but I don't know the answer to that question. But I do know the answer that uh, we don't pray it in common as a community, but some of the sisters do. Oh, okay. All but right, well. we we don't as friars, but some of the sisters in the convent do. Father, we've sort of started the conversation on a higher level of. Uh, OCDS and what impact do they have in the United States and in the world? We've we've taken it into more uh, specific questions around prayer. I'd like to stay with those uh, for a couple more questions and then go back up and and reflect on um, you know our mission and uh, uh, the role of mercy, which the Holy Father obviously has been emphasizing a great deal. And of course, we're in that year. Um, but but if I can stay on the theme of prayer for a moment and being very specific. Uh, we have done a number of programs on St. John of the Cross. We've talked a lot about some of these topics. And just to put context, again, in, in our conversation today, this program is focused on the the whole question of how do we, as seculars, and you have a unique perspective on it, obviously, um, participate in this contemplative life while at the same time living, in out, li- living out an, a, a more apostolic call uh, to fulfill responsibilities as husbands, wives, teachers, uh, lawyers, whatever our particular professions might be, uh, and balancing that with the contemplative call. And in that context, uh, St. John of the Cross has a great deal to say to us about contemplative prayer, the movement, as you've described, from meditative and mental prayer into contemplative prayer. And he uses um, two sets of three signs to serve as a guide. And I won't test you on the specifics unless you brought them. Okay, that's great. I should read them. 
Um, what, what are the distinguishing points uh, uh, that John of the Cross uses to help us understand when we've begun to make that movement uh, from mental and meditative into a more contemplative encounter uh, with this God who is present to us? Well, first of all, when we're looking at St. John of the Cross, I, I think that when we first think of him, we think of a very austere man, tough guy. Um, uh, it's too hard for me. But I think the first thing we want to talk about is St. John of the Cross when he says, not this, nor that, nor that, but faith. Faith is a key thing for St. John of the Cross. A faith is a meeting with God, and it's done in darkness. The goal for St. John of the Cross is always union with God. Theological virtues bring you there. Feelings and concepts don't bring you to union with God. Faith can and does. Thinking about and imagining gospel things seems as important, but the time may come to go beyond pictures for the sake of more of a total presence. So this is where um, uh, it's essential for John of the Cross. Extraordinary phenomena like apparitions, this isn't sought by John of the Cross. They don't give you God himself. God sometimes gives you those experiences, but that's not, St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross is more towards moving towards this total presence of God. So as you pray and as you meditate and as you go through it, there's going to be a time where uh, he talks about it in the ascent where uh, you're not going to feel uh, any um, anything out of that meditation. It's going to be very uh, dark, dry, but you're going to feel the presence of God. So that's a movement where nothing's going to be clicking in the meditation anymore, but you're going to still enjoy the reality of the presence of God in prayer. And so there's the, then there's the temptation to think, well, there's something wrong with my prayer because it's not the, my meditation isn't as good as it what used to be. So that's the big temptation is uh, for many people. Well, I used to be able to meditate. Now I can't meditate. I can't think of the things. It's just uh, too hard. It's too dry. But you're you're aware of the presence of God in the prayer. And so that's a sign that God is bringing the soul slowly towards more of the fullness of the presence of God in that quietness. And uh, so you're not... The intellect's not as active as far as doing the work, and God is more consuming the soul. All right. Well, I have a, a, a real key question here, because I know if I went around and asked people in my community um, if they have experienced this infused contemplative prayer that St. John of the Cross talks about, I don't think any of them would want to give me an answer. <laughs> and I think it's because... Um, it's hard to say within ourselves if we have experienced that infused contemplative prayer. Can you give us some kind of insight into discerning if one 
in themselves has, how would they know that they have experienced infused contemplative prayer? Are we talking about the uh, not extraordinary phenomena, but are we talking about just the ordinary, ordinary but phenomena? but the gift of God, the infused contemplative prayer that is the normal? Uh, they would path. have experienced the loving awareness of God. They would experience the loving, loving awareness, awareness of God. And and what does that feel like? What does that look like? Give it. Give us some details, Father, because you probably have been there, <laughs> being a friar all these years. <laughs> I, 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 all I can say is you. There, I think it's it said something when somebody experiences God, they can't put it in words. Okay. I can't remember where that comes in Scripture. Uh, well, St. John of the Cross, the Cross said exactly that. Yes, says, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when you experience God, you cannot explain what you experience. You just are aware that you've experienced it. And you can't you can't take and say, this is what it's like. It's not like uh, the for the Star, star Trek uh, uh, people like... Uh, What's the the guy's name that gives the Vulcan mind transplant? You can't Spock. give Spock, yeah. <laughs> you can't give that one. You can't give the Vulcan mind transplant, and you really can't put an experience of God into words. All you can say is you've experienced this loving awareness of God, and you know that He is, and that He communicated to your soul. Well, I know you have probably given lots of spiritual direction to lots of Carmelites and non-Carmelites. Um, is it ever uh, a question that they come to you and say, Father, is have I experienced this? Is this the real deal, this infused contemplative prayer? Is this something that uh, you get asked about in spiritual direction? Occasionally people will say, um, I'm going to prayer and I'm... I feel this drawnness to more silence, and I say, let the silence be part of the prayer, and let the Holy Spirit guide it. I always make sure they pray to the Holy Spirit, because there are a lot of spirits. We should be praying to the Holy Spirit to guide that prayer so that we don't go off uh, in into a astray, but we stand in the presence of God like Elijah. Because when we stand in the presence of God, like Elijah, then we're then we're moving. You see, the goal is not uh, just to um, experience the loving awareness of God. The goal in the spiritual life is to do God's will. Right. Right. So Elijah, you know, he slayed 153 prophets, killed them all. Uh, he made the drought. Stop. And here he is running away in fear because Jezebel, an old lady, is trying to kill him. And he wanted to commit suicide and kill himself and end it all. But through standing in the presence of God, he kept moving forward. So standing and praying allows us to move forward in our life so that we can Follow what God's will and path is. Because it's not, blessed are those who do the will of God. And that's the essence of the, of, of the, the essence of the spiritual life is to do the will of God. And so that's why we go to prayer so that we can uh, seek to please him by doing 
his will and living in virtue. We're not about going way up here and not keeping our feet on the ground. Holy Mother would never approve of that. It's about doing the will of God, living the life of virtue, being the witnesses to people so that they see what what they're not getting. You're beginning to give a wonderful explanation of where I want to take the conversation, and that is, uh, as I say, we go to prayer, uh, yes, to be transformed and to have these encounters and to experience uh, the living God, but there is something more meaningful than that, and you've begun to express it, and that is being that living witness. But before we move to that series of uh, reflections, I, I just want to ask one more question in the context of prayer, and you brought it up, um, uh, and I really want to hear what you might have to say about this, and that's the important word of silence. Silence in its largest context, not simply the absence of noise, of course, but um, one of my great um, uh, devotions is to Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, and of course she spoke extensively about silence. silence it was yes. her great devotion. Yes. Um, and so can you reflect a little bit, Father, on the importance of this role of silence? What does it really mean for us to enter into silence as a way of being able to listen so that we can know what the Lord's will is for our life? Well, that's a, a really... I mean... I, the paramount question is because in our society today, a lot of people don't know what silence is. Silence for many people is uh, going someplace um, where they're out of work and, and whatnot. But silence is uh, uh, really a, um, a place in, a, in, a, in our heart where we allow our hearts to Let the Holy Spirit commune with God. And we have to take time to turn off the TVs and the radios and the um, running kids all over the place. I'm thinking running kids all over the place for some degree is good, but if we don't take time to allow the silence of life and the quietness to listen, then our minds just keep running and running and running and running and running. And they just keep spinning like a gerbil on a, on, on a treadmill. And they don't take time to listen to where who you are, where God's moving you to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And sometimes uh, the the silence in our world today is um, it bring if if we can have silence, we could fill our hearts with more hope. Because if we don't have faith and hope and love, those theological virtues which come through prayer, then I think what happens is our life becomes very stagnant. Silence allows the Trinity to commune with our hearts. And it's a very paramount and beautiful experience. And the sad part about it is when people are silent, they really don't know what to do. They just, it's like... The place they're not familiar with. with. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I was checking the cell phones, right? That's <laughs> what the people are doing. That's what the gerbils are running around, flipping that phone and <laughs> cell phones. Cell phones too, and also the head things. Oh yes. Oh. Well, you're opening up the the sort of the last part of our uh, conversation and. Um, having expressed some some very deep and profound thoughts for us on prayer, on mental prayer and contemplative prayer, the role of silence, how uh, various devotions, the rosary, the mass, and so forth can play into that. It is to transform us, and it is to do, as you said, um, the Father's will. We are called not simply to an encounter or to an experience or series of experiences for our own fulfillment, uh, but uh, Blessed Mother said, we are called to do uh, the Father's will, and we are uh, even called to uh, leave prayer on occasion for acts of charity and to, to fulfill the Father's will. So I, I want to reflect on the last part of our conversation about some of those uh, ideas and ask first whether you see, because as I said, the, the whole theme of our conversation each week, Father, and we've been doing this for four plus years now, Francis and myself, and we have a couple of, almost a couple hundred, I think, broadcasts under our feet. Uh, and, but, but we still seem willing to talk about this. And that is this apparent tension between, um, a, a, an apostolic life and, and a secular life and the contemplative life. So can I ask you to reflect a little bit on whether you see in te- any tension between this call to contemplation and an encouragement that we're hearing even more and more today from the Holy Father towards social action and involvement in the world around us. St. John on the Cross says it the best. He said, uh, uh, don't know exactly, but he was speaking to priests. He said that many of the priests could do twice as much and probably a lot better if they spent more time in prayer. If we don't have an encounter with Jesus Christ and doing the apostolic work, then we become social workers. There's a difference between a social worker and an apostle. If you go to the early church, a lot of the pagans, if their children were sick or they didn't want the children or elderly, They'd throw them out on the streets. The Christians would come and grab them and take them and care for them. And that's how um, the early abortions ended in the early church, was because of the Christian witnesses picking them up off the streets. They weren't social workers. They saw them as children of God. If we don't come into an encounter with God, and experience the depth of us being loved by God, how can we look at our brothers and sisters with the same viewpoint as being a child of God? That's what the early Christians saw everyone else as a child of God. That's why we need the contemplative aspect. If we don't have that, then we become social workers. All right. I know that um, this upcoming retreat that you're going to give our community is going to be talking about God's mercy. So uh, I wonder if you could give us some insight into how the OCDS members may best fulfill the Holy Father's commission to live the gospel of mercy. Well, first of all, in order to live the gospel of mercy, we we have to experience it. So that's essential. Uh, so the uh, 
And we also have to not only just experience it, but we have to uh, we have to really believe that that it, it's real. You know the. Uh, Sometimes I think we can just get into the habit of going to confession because we go to confession, but we have to go to confession and realize that when we're going to confession, we're receiving the grace of God in our life. And we're receiving uh, something beyond just, um, uh, you know, a, a habit. So I think we have to do a little more contemplative thing on what we're actually doing when we go to confession. But I also think that we have when we're talking about mercy we uh we as carmelites in our prayer we're always offering or should be offering to god certain things to bring light through our prayer life the mass is the highest light uh that brings into the world so whenever mass is said light goes out into the world it's a great light and it's the grace of God going out in the world and bringing that into into the world. When we, I got this from Dr. Mark Maravelli, which I think is very prominent and very beautiful. It was the it was the uh, link between divine mercy and Fatima. And there's two prayers: Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. Pretty familiar with that. Most people forgot, though, the prayer that they had at Fatima that the angel gave to uh, the seers. E- Eternal Father, um, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ present in all the tabernacles of the world in reparation for all the sins committed against the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and through the merits of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, Immaculate Heart of Mary, I beg the conversion of poor sinners. Notice the two aspects of both prayers. Now, both of them are offering the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus after our Lord is consecrated. He's put in the tabernacle, and he remains there truly present. So they're offering that sacrifice, whenever you say that prayer, to the Father. You're presenting it to the Father. An atonement for our sins and also uh, for the conversion of sinners. The point being on this is that there would be a time where the Mass would not be, be said as much, and so there wouldn't be as much light going out. And so it's almost as if the Holy Spirit is giving these prayers so that the laity can use the priesthood, their priesthood, by their baptism. Everybody's priest, prophet, and king. Priest is a ministerial priest. So the Holy Spirit's allowing those who take their priesthood, and the priesthood, uh, the role of the priest is to offer sacrifice, always, and that will never change. So you take your priesthood and you offer the sacrifice of Jesus, and you, whenever you say those prayers, you and your priesthood bring light to the world. 
It's a great, it's a great combination of both of them. And I think some people think they say the prayers and they say the chaplet, which is very good. But I think in a deeper realm, going just a little bit deeper, what is what are you doing? What is it doing? Well, it's bringing light, it's bringing mercy to the world. Because you're presenting the perfect sacrifice to the Father through your priesthood. That reminds me of... Um when we were reading the foundations of St. Teresa of Avila, she was so joyful when she had Jesus in the tabernacle when she started a new foundation because, you know, it's his presence in that community. So, I, you know, people are talking about, you know, closing churches around the world, and, um, and I'm so sad about that. And some of them are just, oh, it's just mechanics, you know, they can't afford it. And I'm just like, but, but the light is not in the community there. Like it was before, you know, so it, to me, it always uh, touches my heart in a special way. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out so that we can be more um, attentive, more insightful and more heartfelt as we pray those. So we have some more questions and then we've got to wrap up. pretty soon. Well, we'd be uh, doing Father a disservice if we didn't allow him to reflect for uh, uh, at least a few minutes on uh, the role of the Blessed Mother in all of what you've said about prayer, mental prayer, contemplative prayer, the use of the rosary. Uh, no doubt she is our mother and we are devoted to her. It is a central theme to the order, of course, uh, her order. And so I'd ask you, Father, especially from your own experience, uh, to reflect a little bit on the role of the Blessed Mother in helping us deepen that prayer life, uh, which you've described so well, we then carry into the world. And, of course, the Blessed Mother um, is the one who brings us to her son. So could you reflect on that just for a few minutes? Well, tomorrow is the Feast of the Immaculate Heart of Mary. At Fatima, she says, My Immaculate Heart of Mary will lead you to God. So the role of Mary is always to lead us to God. Mary um, listened to God. She pondered the Word of God in her heart. She meditated on the Word of God. She was a spouse of the Holy Spirit. She lived quietly in union with God. She was, we wear the scapular, and you know, the scapular, there's no, there's no verbal prayer on the scapular. It's a, it's a contemplative prayer. Because there's no, you know, you wear some, of the other medals, there's always a little prayer on the back. There's no prayer on the scapular. It's just a silent prayer of a remembrance of our baptismal promises, a remembrance of who we really are, a remembrance of the dignity we have. And as a mother, uh, she continues to allow to to lead us to God. That's her role. Her role isn't to take us away from Jesus, but to deepen our encounter with God. And if we don't have devotion to Mary, then we'll be leaving out a picture of this because God the Father chose her to be the mother of mercy. She, he, chose, he, he, he gave her this grace. God the Father gave her this grace to be the mother of his son. That was his choice. 
And if we leave her out of the role, we're leaving a picture out of, uh, out of that, uh, out of the divine plan of God the Father, because it was His gift of mercy towards her. He preserved her from all stain of original sin, so that she could be the Immaculate Conception, so that she could be the Mother of God, and so that she could be our Mother. I'm going to um, take back what I said and ask you one last question, but I promise this will be a short answer, Father. Uh, you may not recall this, but I do. Um, the uh, the sweatshirt that I saw you wearing when I met you the first time up at uh, Holy Hill. And I just have to ask you, before uh, we close, and I'll remind you, you're in the state of Ohio. There's a football game played every year. Go blue. The end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you heard it. <laughs> uh, it just so happens I'm actually a Michigan fan as well. And unlike you, Father, I have to live here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. We'll ask you. Me. I had my Michigan hat on today. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> You're a brave man. You're a brave man. Don't do that in the month of uh, October or November. Uh, but, Father, I'd ask you, if you would, please, to close us in prayer today. Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother, Mother of God, God pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray, pray for, for us. Father, Father Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, it's been a treat, really. We enjoyed very much having this time with you. I hope we get the opportunity to do this again sometime. Uh, but again, for uh, the time that you spent with us, we very much appreciate it. Look forward to the weekend. And for all of our listeners, until we're with you again next week, God bless. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.